Bible Sunday. It's good to see everybody. Come on, let's read the Bible this morning. Romans chapter 5. It says, not only so, but we also glory in our suffering. Someone say suffering. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Yeah. Yes, Siri? Anything? That's the Holy Spirit coming down through the computer. (laughs) Sorry about that. Uh, Romans chapter 8, we're going to fast forward. Three chapters forward. It's a really quick verse. And we know that in all things, someone say all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. I want to speak to you from the subject this morning titled The Easy Button. If you're taking notes, jot that down. The Easy Button. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the chance to come together and, and just, uh, just hear from you. God, this morning I ask that, uh, that you would speak through me. God, this word that you've placed on my heart, God, let it just fall on hearts. They're ready to receive. God, let me speak with conviction this morning. Uh, let there not be anything that tries to hold back what you have for us in this place. Uh, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. So I want to talk about suffering this morning. Yeah. Everyone thought you were coming to this positive, encouraging church, and he's up there talking about suffering. Boo. It's encouraging, right? It's not K-Love. It's, no, I'm just kidding. I was thinking about this, this subject Pastor Jason asked me to speak a few weeks ago, and, and I've actually been talking with some people about this and, and even wrestling with myself. Um, it's, Jan- it's February 5th now. We've gotten just a little, a little taste as to what 2017 is going to be like. Raise your hand if it just kind of started off a little crummy. Anybody? All right. I know for me, it's had its ups and downs, but I think that this message is right now because I want to talk about embracing suffering. Mm. Come on. Everyone's like, ooh, this message is going to be weird. No, it's going to be good, I promise. But I want to talk about the easy button. Who's seen the commercials for Staples? They got that button. It's the easy button. And it's like, if you need pens, push the easy button. If your coffee's out of coffee, push the easy button. If your printer's out of ink, push the easy button. It'll be there. How many know that it would be really, really, really convenient if I had the easy button in my life? There's so many things that I would just push. The moment I wake up, kids, easy button, done. <laughs> my son wakes up at 6 in the morning, sometimes earlier, and he just, he'll come right in my face. He's like, hey, Dad. I'm like, oh, easy button. Just go get some, <laughs> go get breakfast and leave me alone. I want to sleep. But sometimes in life, it would be nice to have an easy button, right? Because there's some, there, life, life is hard, and we walk through some stuff. But I think that the easy button has ultimately set us up for failure. Technology has gotten to the point where things are so easy that sometimes we don't even know how hard we have it. Like my phone does everything I need. I forgot how hard it was to actually get on the internet. Do you, like I'm old enough to know what AOL was. Does anyone remember that? Like, hey, do you want to chat? Well, let me log on. I'll be there 13 minutes. I'll wait for the dial tone to connect to the moon and then broadcast a channel. It's so hot. I mean, it was so inconvenient, but now I've got my phone and I can just, boom, I'm there. And so the, the easy button, whether you want to call it technology, whether you want to call it just the easy way out, anything that you could put in there has, has kind of let us down because we've kind of forgotten how to do stuff. Amen? And I want to submit this morning about suffering. That's, there's so many times that we start walking through trials and we just want to push the easy button in life and say, God, I'm done. I, I don't want to be there. And... I think that, that that has kind of failed us. I, uh, 
I told this story last, this last service, and uh, I preached this story the last time I spoke about my 98 Toyota Camry. Yeah. Best car ever. I bought, it was my first car I ever bought with my own money. I put 115,000 miles on it, and I bought it in Phoenix, and I literally drove that car into the, the dust of the earth. It was getting really, really old. There was holes in different outsides of the car, and the, the, the keys would just come out of the ignition whenever you wanted it to, and the radio would cut off every 12 seconds, and the mirrors didn't match. This car was getting old, and it was, it was about time we had talked about it with the family. We said, okay, we need to get a new car. We need to get something that's a little more reliable. So I went to purchase car, to purchase a car. Who's done the car buying process and knows how annoying it can be? So uh, I, I went up to this car dealership that was up north, and they just had a snowstorm the night before. It was Monday morning. I showed up. There was snow all over their lot. So I showed up. I was probably the first customer there. I said, hey, I'd love to test drive this car. I, I don't know that I'm going to, I, I want to buy this brand of car. I want to make sure that it feels right when I drive it. He said, here, take the keys and just go. I was like, that's weird. Don't you want to come with me? Or how do you, he's like, no, I just, I've got too much snow to plow. We're just really busy. I trust you. Go down the road, turn left, get on the freeway and come back and you'll be fine. And we'll talk about the car. I said, fine. So who loves test driving a car? That's like my favorite part of the car buying process because you get in this car that's probably newer than the one you're with and my, like the technology that this thing held compared to what my Camry did, like I had manual levers in my Camry. <laughs> this thing had a computer and windshield wipers that functioned properly and a radio that didn't, like I said, didn't cut out every 12 seconds. This car was awesome. So when you sit into a car and you do a test drive, you get, what, you get button pushy. Like, I, I think I pushed every button in that car. Just, I wanted to see if it worked, because I had buttons in my Toyota that I pushed, and it would go, meh, nothing would happen. <laughs> so, like, wow, the car does what I want it to. This is an amazing feeling. So, I get on the, I, I, drive, I start driving out, and one of the buttons I pushed was the sunroof. Never had a sunroof before. It's pretty cool. I wanted to see what it was like. So, the sunroof opens up, and it's a clear day. Don't, I didn't do it in the rain. I'm not crazy. It wasn't snowing. It was just, I wanted to see what the sunroof was like to be open. All right, pretty cool. So I go to retract the sunroof, and it gets jammed on a piece of ice right in the track of the sunroof. I'm driving on the freeway in January with the sunroof open, which is just kind of funny, but I thought I'll get back to the car dealership and tell them, sorry, it got stuck, no big deal. So I, I pull off the road, and I'm approaching this light that turns yellow. Now, normally, if you're from Utah, you just run the red light. Everybody does. It's just what we're famous for is running through red lights. But I didn't own this car. Like, that's not, I don't want to put myself in that position. I don't have insurance. on. The, if I blow this light and something happens, I'm in trouble. So remember, it had just snowed two days before. And what is on the top of that car? That is right. Two inches of ice and snow. When I slammed on my brakes to make sure that I didn't run through the intersection, the whole sheet of ice from the top of the car came dumping inside the sunroof. I'm not lying. All my windows, just, just picture the guy that was sitting next to me. He's driving along, and he looks over. There's this new car with the windows up, and this guy is covered with snow. It was in my beard. It was in the electronics, all over my clothes. And I'm just, I'm just sitting there like, really? And the guy, the guy just looked over, like, I swear he wanted to say something, but just knew that it was not the right time to say anything. I'm just so frustrated. Why can't things just be easy? Can I just be done and push the easy button and get through it? But I think that what God wants us to hear from my story of purchasing cars is sometimes the easy way is not always the best way. Right. I think that God is big enough that through our circumstances, 
can work through the stuff that we go through. And, and unfortunately, like, I, I want us to go to the beginning of when God created us. We look back to the beginning in the Garden of Eden. God's original intent for our life was not so that we would go through suffering. It was not that we would have these hardships to the point where uh, it says that Adam and Eve were naked. They didn't even feel shame. There was no sin. There was no nothing. We were lived in perfect harmony with God. The suffering and the trials and the frustration, church, again, is a byproduct of the fall. When sin crept in, you read in the scripture, the moment that sin entered into our lives, they were naked and ashamed. They felt shame for the first time ever. So we look and say, God is not our intention. God doesn't want this to happen. But unfortunately, and I can't dumb it down any more than this, is life just kind of stinks sometimes. But our God is with us through the process. Amen? And I want us to know, and I think God is trying to speak to us this morning, that in the midst of the bad things, he is doing something bigger than we can even think about. And I want us to try to change our thinking this morning. The reason I titled this the easy button is because the easy button is the old way. I want us to shift it to a new way. The Bible talks about changing our mind, renewing the way that we think, about embracing trials. What? Embracing trials. On paper, that, that doesn't... That doesn't work with me, Pastor Justin. I can't think. That doesn't make sense. You just gave me an oxymoron that embracing a trial is not a good thing, but I say that it is because God is bigger than what we go through, and he is doing something through us. Amen? The danger with the easy button is that our faith is never tested, and undoubtedly, you will need to exercise your faith at some point in your life because every, everything, every trial that we go through seems to get a little bit harder and a little bit harder and a little bit different. And we need the moments that we just walked through to make sure that the next one we get through, we're ready for it. So let's look at Paul. I, I was kind of looking through uh, some people in the Bible that kind of walked through some struggle. There were some good ones in the Old Testament, but th- their stories are so massive. So even, let's look at Paul. Second Corinthians. I don't have enough time to go through the whole, kind of everything that Paul went through, but Second Corinthians does a great job of, of summing it up. And I love how, how he starts this letter. It's, it's, it's it's really baller. Listen. It says, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. It's a bold statement right there. I am talking like a madman with far greater laborers, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Different kind of stones. <laughs> That's a whole different message for people to live in Colorado and Seattle. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day in sea, I was, adri- I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea. That's literally everywhere that you can be that he was in danger from. <laughs> danger from false brothers and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and in thirst and often without food. In cold and exposure and apart from other things, there is daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. If we take this, script, this whole chunk of what Paul is summing up that he went through, if we just take that portion of Scripture on face value or, or in a vacuum, who would agree that Paul's life was just terrible? But as we learned last week, Pastor Mike said, we need to look at everything in context. So it's not looking about the image this close, because sometimes it's what we do. We look at something this close and we can't see the overall story. We look at the whole story of Paul, and yes, Paul went through some stuff, but in the midst of that, and even after, Paul was able to do some of the, the best writing in the New Testament. The, he inspired so many churches. Why, why is that? I think, I think that it's because Paul understood something, that sometimes life is hard, but we walk through trials, and there's a reason that we do. 
we're going to dig into some, some points to talk about why God is, is with us when we go through trials and what, what is accomplished if we can focus on the right thing. But in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, it says, Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the, goal, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in God and Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. Paul is talking about forgetting what lies behind. What lies behind? What, that's all the stuff that he walked through. The behind was the, the struggle and the strife and the beatings and the imprisonment and all the stuff that Paul went through. But Paul understood something that was greater than himself was that no matter what I'm facing, my God is bigger and I can come out on the other side stronger. Yeah. And he threw that, Paul literally used that as an example and it's like, who, who's going through some stuff? I don't know if your year started off bad, you've got financial problems, someone passed away. I was reading tweets the other day of someone that was like their favorite actor died, and it was like, they said, 2017 is the worst year ever. It just doesn't start off well as what we want it to. But Paul knew something bigger than that was no matter what in the moments that things look rough, that God is taking us on a journey. Amen? Amen. We need to understand some things this morning that I think that God wants to reveal to us as we walk through struggle, as we walk through trials and tribulations, that if we can shift the way that we think about struggle itself, that he can ultimately take us to a better spot. That 2017 will not, may have started off rough for some, but could be the best year that we can have. But we have to have the right look, we have to look at it through the right eyes. So let's understand some things this morning. Number one, if you're taking notes, I want you to understand three things. Number one, understand the value of seasons. Understand the value of seasons. I love our state. We live in a, an amazing state that we actually are blessed to have all four seasons, which is pretty, I grew up in Seattle and then I spent a little bit of time in Arizona. So the seasons were just noticeable. But here, you definitely know it's winter and you definitely know it's summer and when spring is here, it's awesome and fall is, I love fall here. But we need to understand that seasons, some people use it as a cop-out. Has anyone ever heard, oh, I'm just in a dry season? Oh, brother, season's just rough. I'm making it through. I think... <laughs> That might have been my best Matthew McConaughey impression. I apologize. <laughs> but sometimes we use it as a cop-out, right? Oh, it's my rough season. I, that gives me permission to just be all negative and mopey. But some, like, have you ever heard that before? Season, I call it the season cop-out. We need to understand what seasons are. Seasons are a byproduct of what the earth has to do. The earth has to turn. I tried to demonstrate it in the last service, and it just looked really silly. But like... During this certain season, the earth is tilted on certain axis, and it's turning. This is good. Um, it's turning, so Pastor Mike's laughing at me right now because I'm, I'm all science-y, and I'm, really it's failing me. But we need to understand that's what seasons are. It's a byproduct of, of the positioning of the earth. And what, what does that mean? It means no matter what, seasons have to happen. Okay? Seasons have to take place. We can't avoid them. We can't blame it on the seasons because no matter what, the next season's going to be there and so on and so forth. So what do we need to do? We live in Utah, it's cold here, we need to adapt. It's just so practical, church. We need to adapt. When I, I'm not going to go outside in the month of February with shorts and flip-flops on. I could. That would be not smart. 
I need to adapt to what my season is in. Why would I do that? That doesn't make sense. No, we need to actually prepare ourselves for the season. I'm saying this because we can thrive in tough seasons. That's a youth plug. Hashtag youth plug thrive. (laughs) I'm still the youth pastor. I got to do it. Sorry. But I, I think that no matter what the season is, there's some practical things that we can do to make sure that we're guarded to be in that season. If it's winter, let's, let's clothe up. I love layering. I love having a nice coat on and a, a hot coffee and a beanie and a scarf if I'm feeling a little racy, you know, just want to test the boundaries of who I am. I, I used to wear a scarf purely because it was a style thing when I lived in Phoenix. Like in the month of May when it's like 90, I'm like, I'm leading worship with a scarf on and someone's like, why are you wearing a scarf in Phoenix? That is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I, lo- I just I love winter, but I guard myself to go outside, right? So that I can be comfortable and I can live my life without being negative so much. Same in the summer. We have AC in our house so that we can be comfortable in the season we're in. There's practical things that we could do to be comfortable. Don't let seasons be a cop-out. We could succeed in those, in those seasons yeah. that are tough. We just need to do some things we need to put some things in motion for ourselves that we can succeed in, in, in those times. And I've heard it called before, like Pastor Jason preached a message a while back. It's all about mountaintops and valley lows, right? Our life is, we're on a journey, and we're either on top of the mountain or we're walking down into the valley. I, uh, I made a cognizant decision last year to lose some weight. I was grossly overweight. And we live in Utah. I want to hike. I love this. I love going to the mountains. And I, I was just so out of shape that it, was, it wasn't fun for me. So I said, March, I want to lose 100 pounds in a year. I, I'm not there yet, but uh, I'm getting there. So at this point, um, Colin Kimball, one of the guys here, and Sean, he called me up. He's like, hey, let's go hiking. I'm like, sweet, let's do it. I was in the journey. Of, I was like two months into this journey. So it was still, still in the beginning stages. But um, he's like, yeah, we're going to hike this place called Bell's Canyon. I'm like, sweet. I'm, I'm, I've never been there before. It sounds awesome. Let's do it. Guys, that hike destroyed me. <laughs> destroyed me. There's big boulders, and you have to just climb up, and your quads are just hurting. And the worst part was Colin. <laughs> Colin kept looking back like every 10 minutes. He was like, hey, we're almost to the falls. We're getting there. And then we're like 30 minutes later, nothing. <laughs> 10 minutes later, hey, we're almost to the falls. Like he would say this every 10 minutes. And I was like, dude, if you say we're almost there one more time, and then we would turn the corner, and there'd be this long stretch of hill. I'm like, ah. Oh. Stop saying it. But we got to the falls, and like, that's the best part of the hike, right? When you get to the top, and you just like, you finally, you've been trucking along, you made it up the hill, and you're tired, but you made it to the top, and the top of the mountain is great. Would we all agree that that's, that's kind of where you want to be, at the top of the mountain? I, I was so excited that I actually accomplished this hike, but I came, I came down to tell all my hiker nerds that go to this church, uh, I, got all, I put my Patagonia sweater on, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna, I went on a hike. It didn't fit. It was all like schmedium on me. And I told Brian, <laughs> sorry, I told, I told Brian, I got all excited. I'm like, dude, I hiked Bell's Canyon. He goes, oh, cool. Did you, make, you made it to the falls, right? I'm like, yeah, we made it to the waterfall. He's like, no, the second one or the first one? <laughs> like, I only saw one. What do you mean the second one? He's like, yeah, you only did like a third of it. <laughs> what? Like, I was so proud of myself. And then Brian was just like, Trust me. He's like, no, the, the second one, you pass the first one, which is cool, but you go to the next one, it's like 15 miles up, you got to fly across a ravine and then go through, a, you know, just, man, I really, I really was excited and Brian kind of let me down. 
But I was proud of the moment that I got to the top of the mountain. Isn't that good? When you just get to the top and you look down and be like, I climbed up that. That felt good. And now I'm at the top and I did it. There's an accomplishment factor that you love to see. And it feels good. But undoubtedly, I can't stay there. We can't stay at the top of the mountain. Because there's nothing there for me to survive. I didn't bring enough stuff in my backpack to make sure that I could survive up there. I need food, I need water, I need shelter, I need to see my family, I need to go back down into the valley. And why is that hard? Because we know that once we've gotten to the bottom of the valley, we gotta climb back up again. And it's really tough to know that up at the top of the mountain, man, I wish I could stay here, but we can't stay there or you're gonna die. And I think there's something that we could pull out of that church when we can understand that yes, life is mountains and valleys, but don't stay at the top of your mountain or it's, it's going to be dangerous. We need to go down to the valley because we need to get fed, we need to get nourishment, and then we need to keep pushing on. And sometimes that's rough because that means trekking back up that hill. But ultimately, there's another mountaintop coming. You get up there, look back on accomplishments, stay there for a while, and then we got to go back down. We need to understand the value of what seasons are. Is that good? All right, number two. We need to understand the value of pressure. Someone say pressure. pressure. Second Corinthians Chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. This is the New King James Version. Mostly we preach out of ESV, but this specific, I love the way that it's worded in the New King James. So I'm going to read it. It says, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Who loves diamonds? All right. Cheryl gave me a yeah. Who loves gold? I love it. I can't afford them, but I love it. I love, I love those materials. Why are we talking about this? If you understand the process of diamonds and gold, there's three things that it really needs. is pressure, heat, and time are the way that those precious stones and metals are made up. Diamonds are a reflection of m- minerals coming together. Here I go, science again. Sorry, I'm all Bill Nye this morning. But <laughs> over time... The pressure of these minerals, it it keeps going with heat, and over time they get turned into diamonds. Why are we focusing on this this morning? I believe because we need to start focusing on what happened, not what happens, but why it's happening. That's the mind shift I'm talking about. The what is the situation that you're in. The what is the struggle. I've talked to people that struggle with living in Utah, and that's a tough thing for some people, and they're like, God, why am I here? I don't understand this. But if we could change our, the way that we think and stop thinking about what is happening, but start talking about why, what of the pressure is making these diamonds, the, the what of, of diamonds is the actual pressure. That's the uncomfortable part. It's never good being under pressure. It's never good being under fire. It's never good being on that type of heat. But why it's happening is because it's being turned into a diamond. And I, I think that we need to shift our focus on not the what, but the why. I love this show called Gold Rush. Anyone seen that show? They dig the gold out of the ground, and they, they bring it to this gold manufacturer, and it's all dirty and gross. It's got specks in it. And the guy puts it in this kiln and heats it up. And what happens? This black stuff comes to the top that's called slack. And the guy who takes it and wipes it off and then stirs it up and puts it back in the fire. And it's a process. The gold refining is a process to get it pure. 
It's a, our lives are a continuous process of frustration and, and walking through trials. But God, because he is so big and great, is not causing these, but yet he's walking alongside us saying, I know it's rough right now, but I got you. If you could see what this is making you, your faith is being so strong and tested because down the road something bigger is going to happen. Someone's going to need to hear your testimony. Someone's going to need you to speak to them, and you're going to be able to because you're walking through something strong and something that hurts and something that is making you feel like you're broken. But I am bigger than that, and you're not being broken. You're getting made into a diamond. Shifting the idea of focusing on why and not what. Listen, don't, don't miss the miracles he is providing because your eyes are fixed on your struggle and not Jesus. Don't miss them because they're there. He's given you stuff, but sometimes we're so focused on, this is terrible, it hurts, it's so rough. It is, but God's saying, I, I got you. I got you. Number three, embrace the struggle. Yep, he said it. He said the one thing that doesn't make sense to me. Embrace the struggle. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, and I want you to underline this if you can take notes or write it down or something. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Hey, Miguel, if you want to come up here, bud. I'm going to use this basketball as an example. Put a little emoji for our Twitter people or any other technology people. So th this basketball is representing of our trials, okay? This is our struggle. Miguel, I love you, man. This is one of our students at Thrive. I love this man very much. He's, he's great. He's good at soccer, but he's also good at basketball, too, and he shows me up, like, every Wednesday night. So uh, he's going to take the struggle right now, okay? And who knows, on, on, on any sport, when you don't have the ball, you're on defense. I love defense. Like, that's my, out of all sport, hockey, football, all that stuff, I love defense. I love cheering for the underdog, the guy that's on the backside trying to make the stop. I, I'm a big defense guy. But ultimately, we still have to score points to win the game, okay? So why am I using this example? That ball represents my struggle. When he has the ball and I'm on defense, I can't really do anything. I am dictated by what he is doing with the struggle. If he goes this way, I've got to kind of follow him. And if he goes that way, i got to follow him. And I'm on my back feet when it comes to him having the ball because I want to try to stop him, but I don't know what he's going to do. He is dictating my attitude. He's dictating my actions. So he can try to juke me, which he probably will, and I'm going to try to do it. I'll go, and he can get right past me. Why are we talking about this, church? I think that when the Bible says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, which just means change the way you think about something, how about we play some offense? How about we embrace the struggle, and we take this ball, and God's saying, I want you to get in the court and now take this, and now I, I get to dictate what he does because I got the struggle close to me. I don't want to be back away from it anymore. I don't want it to tell me how to feel. I don't want the actions of the stuff that goes on in my life, the pain, the struggle, the trials, everything I do, I don't want that to dictate my relationship with God and my relationship with my wife. No, I want to embrace it, and now I get to tell him what to do. Say, so I got the ball. What up? Literally, this is about all I can do in basketball right here. It's this right here. <laughs> and now I can, I can box him out if I want to. I can push him away because I'm embracing struggle. Thanks, Miguel. Can we put the ball in our court, church, is what I'm trying to say. 
Let's put the ball in our court and play some offense. Let's stop shying away from, from trials. Because like, I think that there's things that we could do to succeed. There's things that we could do to thrive and, and be alive and be a normal person if we can embrace it and control the situation. And again, some of you, that's so foreign thinking to embrace my struggle. I still, I'm having a hard time with that sentence. Your ability to recognize a miracle that God is providing is found when you embrace the trials that you go through. But if you have doubted, I've talked to so many people that have gone through this, and, and even me, church, I'm preaching to myself. I have no way have this together, and I struggle with this daily. I'm preaching to the choir, as they say, because I need it. And there's a reason I feel like God had me speak it this morning. I've talked to so many people that have said, God, why are you taking me through this? Why did I go through that? Why are you making this happen? Remember, God, that was not his intention. He knows all things. Don't get me wrong. God is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He, he knows everything that's happening. But along while we're walking through these trials, he's in there with us, pulling us through, saying, come on, something big's happening. You got to hold on with me here because you get made into a diamond. You're turning into a piece of gold. Understand why we go through things, not what is happening. If you have doubted, there's grace for that. The cool thing about Jesus is that there's no going backwards. If you feel like I've just dug my, I've kept doubting God for years. Every time something bad would come up, I just felt like, no, God, I'm not going to deal with it. I'm just going to push it aside and push the easy button and not test my faith. If that's you this morning, I want to say there, there's grace because of what Jesus did. And the good thing about grace is grace doesn't mean ever going backwards. There's no going backwards. It's just starting right now. You're not in a hole if you've doubted God.